taking the time for that employee to share with you where they feel like they're winning, what they want to celebrate with you, what they need help with, and you doing that in return. And we get that feedback all the time that people are like, oh, I just had an, like, an annual review. Again, you're missing all the details if you're doing it that far apart. So do it quarterly and offer that feedback. It's going to make all the difference in the world with your team, I promise. Welcome to One Next Step, the most practical business podcast in the world. You're now one simple tip, practical tool, and small step away from growing your business. One Next Step is brought to you by Belay, the incredible 100% remote organization revolutionizing productivity with virtual assistants, bookkeepers, and social media managers. Accomplish more, juggle less. Modern staffing from Belay. And now to your hosts. Welcome to One Next Step, the practical business podcast that helps you run your business so it stops running you. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan, and I'm so excited to be with you today because today we're talking about how you can lead anyone from anywhere as we talk through some critical skills to lead people more effectively and become a successful leader of a modern hybrid team. With 11 years of experience leading hybrid teams, our CFO, Lisa Zeveld, definitely has some tips and tricks up her sleeve. But before we get started, let's talk about time and how there's never enough of it. But what if you could have an extra 15 hours every week? Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. With the help of Belay, the incredible organization revolutionizing productivity with subscription-based virtual assistant, bookkeeping, and social media strategist services, you could reclaim an average of 15 hours every week by delegating just five tasks. Tasks like email, scheduling, social media management, AP, AR, and expense reporting. Accomplish more, juggle less. Modern staffing from Belay. Now, let's jump into this week's incredible conversation with Lisa. LZ, I am so excited to have this conversation with you today. As we get started, I guess I'd just love to hear like, what, in your opinion, is the most important people skill or soft skill that a leader should have? Yeah, um, you know, I'm going to say the very first thing that came to mind because of the first part of your question, and that's the most important people skill, because I think that, you know, great leaders have to start, you just have to start being a great person first. And so empathy, mm, yeah, empathy was the first thing that came to mind, because I think that if you are not an empathetic leader, I think that you miss out on understanding where your team is coming from, where your clients coming from, where your business associates are coming from. I think it's just critical to be empathetic. I totally agree. I think the best leaders that I have had were the ones that tailored their leadership towards me. And that starts with empathy. It starts yes. with their ability to approach each individual as a different human. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that was a pretty easy one. It would just pop right in my head. I, I, t- <laughs> I totally agree. I, I totally agree. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I hear um, one of my mentors, Andy Stanley, always talks about you have to work on your character before you work on your competency. And I yeah. think empathy is kind of right there in that in that category as well. Yeah. When I think about the good and bad leaders that I've had over my career, I think overwhelmingly the ones that I can think about and, and who have really molded me as a human, not just um, as a professional, but molded me as a human are those who came um, with empathy. I totally agree. So in the context of like a, a hybrid environment, an environment where you've got, you know, people maybe sharing four walls or, or maybe not. Yeah. Um, how, like, how would you say that you like effectively coach and lead your team without the kind of dreaded pitfall of micromanaging? Yeah. Well, um, I think first and foremost, you have to 
hire the right people, right? You have to hire adults that you can, that you think have the skill set. But overwhelmingly, I think that you have to start by building trust with them. Um, I think trust is key in effectively coaching and leading a, um, a hybrid team. You know, you have to know that because you're not in the same room with them, the same building, the same state, and heck, there's some companies out there that's not even in the same country right yeah. now. You have to trust your team members are doing what's been delegated to them and, uh, and what you hired them to do. So I would start there first and foremost. I think, too, that there's a lot of collaborative platforms and tools that you can use in order to um, have some oversight into what their daily workload is like. Um, and so it's not like you are asking all the time, hey, what are you working on? Hey, did you get this done, right? No, nobody wants to be treated that way. So if you utilize really good platforms and really good tools, um, whether it's a tasking system, a CRMs come with a whole bunch of that kind of stuff, then you can run reports, you can kind of look in and, and check and make sure stuff is getting done. And ultimately that makes your team feel like that you trust them and crazy thing about trust is the more you give trust, the more trust you get it in return. So look at that. Then they start to trust you more as a leader and you can ask for bigger and better things. And it's really cool. I totally agree. I've seen uh, the kind of the tools that we use, you know, shared calendars, things like that. I remember, yeah. you know, one of the first initiatives for me when I, I kind of started leading the team of lead now is like I shared my calendar with them because I wanted them to know what I was right. working on yeah. in the same way that I asked to see theirs. And it was a way to kind of lead in vulnerability that way, but also like mutual accountability. It's just like, hey, we're all kind of working um, towards the same thing and we're seeing what we're working on. Oh, totally. And I, I find that it's um, some team members, especially if they're not coming from an environment where there's been a lot of trust, their mind is blown. The fact that their leader would share a calendar, their personal calendar with them, like, no way, you know, and that just makes them want to work harder because they haven't felt that before, which is sad in a way, right? But, yeah. but, it's, but it's cool once you're in that environment. Those high trust environments, especially when you're bringing people in from a place, you know, you've identified yeah. great talent, you know, they're the right culture fit, but they have bad habits to unwind potentially from the yes. previous employer. Uh, you kind of have to lead with showing trust in the same way that like you're asking mm -hmm. for it, you know, and I think that's a, a killer way to do that. Oh, in, totally. In the context of like limiting micromanagement, like what role do you feel like expectations play and, and clarifying those with the team that you're, you're leading? Yeah. I mean, I think expectations are huge. I think ultimately I believe that everyone now, okay. I'm going to, let me go back because somebody's going to write in and say, not everyone, they've had that one bad employee. 99% um, <laughs> of people, the people you hire want to do a good job. Yeah. I, I honestly believe that people don't show up to do a bad job. I don't think that people show up to underperform. I think what happens is people start to underperform when they don't have clear expectations, when it's not obvious what the outcome should be. And so I think that um, it's great to have that foundation of trust. It's great to have all the tools, but you have to take it one step further and be very clear about what your expectations are, specifically when it comes around availability, productivity, meetings, all of those things that go into helping somebody be successful in their role. 
Yeah, I know uh, for us, we use KPIs as one of the tools Mm -hmm. to kind of create expectations. Do you have other tools like that that you use with your team on a weekly basis or whatever that might be? Yeah, I mean, KPIs are great. Again, we kind of talked about those tools. I think that when you have a uh, a task management tool, it's really easy to do that. One of the things that I I love doing, and this is, you know, specifically what I've used with my virtual assistant, my executive assistant, but I've also used it with some team members, is that we created a document together of what they expected from me as a leader and what I expected from them. And that just helped clarify everything like, hey, um, we work in a virtual environment, but I'm going to let you know that you can expect me to be working from nine to six on most days. Those are my working hours. And then I've had a team member go, hey, that's awesome. But for me, you can expect me to be working like from a seven to four. If we had not done that, that's outside of like a task management tool, that's outside of some other tools that you've talked about, I could be working at five o'clock and sending an email and going, huh, look at that. They're not working. They're just slacking off. Nobody's, they don't even answer my email at five o'clock. Well, it was a really quick conversation of a document that we created that said, hey, these are my working hours. These are yours. Is there any problem with that? Um, Hey, by the way, this is how I expect you to respond to emails. Uh, We have a 24-hour virtual nod. I expect you to at least say, hey, I got this. You don't have to get it done. But creating a document just as something as easy as, you know, in Google, or it could be an email that you go back and forth, and then you kind of put it in a note somewhere. I think makes a huge difference when it comes to micromanaging and especially leading virtual teams. Yeah, I think that really segues perfectly into my next question, which, and and you are an expert at this, you've done this for 11 years. I started (laughs) leading virtual teams during the pandemic. And then as when I came to Belay, I went full, it was kind of a hybrid team at that point and and came to Belay and it's fully virtual. And that's challenged so many assumptions um, that we've talked about on the podcast before for me. But how do you start building relationships with remote team members when you're not sitting across from them? Like what, what, like, what have you done? And, and this is something you've been very successful at because we have an unbelievable culture here and your team is amazing. But uh, what, yeah. how do you do that? Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, um, if I go back, you know, to 11 years ago, we had a, uh, our founders had a great idea to, to build this virtual team. But it had to be, had to start with a lot of intentionality because we could not be lazy in the fact that because we were in each other's presence, that that meant that we were going to have a good culture and a good relationship. And I think that's what happens a lot of times in my experience from uh, with teams who are in person. You just assume it's going to be you know, haphazardly that you're going to have a good working relationship and you're going to have a good culture in that building. And so number one, we knew that didn't work. And number two, we had to be very intentional about creating spaces and time to build those relationships. And whether that was, you know, we didn't, now we have weekly staff meetings. In the beginning, we didn't have that. You know, it was sort of every other week, the 10 of us would get on a call and talk about what we were doing for the week, you know, and then from that or the company grew and then it was like, oh, well, let's do quarterly meetings. And then we found out that quarterly in-person meetings wasn't enough, that we still needed to have those virtual meetings. We also communicate a lot through instant messaging or Slack, again, using those tools to constantly communicate. So I would say it starts with intentionality. It starts with knowing what you want to create and then it, from that point, it goes to communicating what you want to create and how you're going to do it. And then setting a schedule for it around 
how often you are going to meet. Um, and it changes, you know, give yourself permission to change that from, from time to time. Um, a lot of preparation, a lot of foundation building. Yeah. And like I said, just over communicating all the time, what is important to you, because this is what I do know is that um, we tend to think that if we mention something once or even once per year, that um, people don't like to, to hear things over and over. No one likes to be, you know, have things repeated to them. But if you repeat it in a way that's fun and meaningful and relevant in the space that we are in in our world right now, I don't think people mind. And so over communicating what your mission and your vision and your values are um, becomes a quick and easy way to build a deep relationship. Yeah, it reminds me of a story. I have a, a friend who helped develop the whole cow campaign for Chick-fil-A. Yeah. A couple of years into it, they um, you know, there were some corporate team members that were like, All right, are we moving on to the next thing? And and the reminder was if we are just now starting to get tired of something, they're just now starting to hear it. And that's obviously from the like a yeah. company to a customer relationship. But I think it's true sure. in vision casting as well and and expectations and relationship development, especially in the context of like a virtual relationship. Like you really can't say stuff too much. You can't be too clear too often. No. And, and the other thing too, I think the key word to the question you just asked is the relationship part of it. And there's a lot of studies out there that will tell you that um, people actually need a friend at work. They need to have a deep relationship with someone at work, an appropriate relationship, of course. And so you have to create moments where your coworkers, your team members are able to understand each other on a deeper level. We do that for our leadership team in super cool ways. I mean, we have done, you know, climbed mountains together, you know, when we could travel. Um, There's been other times where we didn't travel. And it was just all of us sitting around a living room of a Airbnb that we rented or a hotel conference room, maybe not in the conference room, because those are a little sterile, but like in the lobby. And we're sitting around and we're talking about our hopes and our dreams or, or things that happened in our past. And all of a sudden, you start to see your coworkers as human, you humanize them. They're no longer just the person that does that task or that moves that ball forward. And I think that that's also what builds an amazing culture is because when you know that your, your office buddy, your virtual office buddy also has feelings and also has some things that are difficult in their family or there's big things that they're celebrating. I think that you work way better as a team and I think that that resonates into that culture that that builds unstoppable teams. Yeah, I've uh, another way I've seen you do this in some of the the teams and meetings that you lead is literally in your agenda. You build in like water cooler talk at like the yes. top, the, you know, the first five, and that's a free way to do it. You know, like the first five or yeah. ten meetings, minutes of a meeting because we don't have those hallway conversations or mm-hmm. the break room conversations. So like literally building that into the structure and format of the. Um, of the meeting I have seen is another way to just create a touch base relationally for you to have those relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be just a, uh, a silly question. So we use Slack here at Belay and team administrator for the finance team, you know, Monday morning, she'll put out a silly question, you know, like it could this Monday, it was uh, what are your top three favorite foods? 
Okay, cool. It's just really quick and easy. But then that becomes a whole conversation throughout the day. Or we have this thing that we do for our new employees called this or that. Are you a fork or a spoon? Like it's just silly little things that you wouldn't think would make such a huge difference. And and all of a sudden, it kind of takes on a life of its own. (laughs) It it is my favorite part of our staff meetings because I have a very strong opinion about uh, if you could only have one utensil for the rest of your life, which one would it be, a fork or a spoon? So, Elsie, I'm going to put you on the spot. what is it for you? I'm controversial. I'm a spoon. Oh, see, I'm a fork. Uh, <laughs> adamantly a fork. So I, I would say this is one of those questions that has shocked me because I think it's one of those things that in your mind, you just think everyone's going to think like you. And then to see that they don't is like really surprising. And questions like that really do bring life to the culture and just like a really safe way to relate to the people you're around. I like the way you put that. Yes, very safe way to relate to it. That's awesome. Except for those that are passionately forks. Uh, I literally have a Zoom background that I put up every time we ask the question because, you know, I just, oh, I'm, awesome. I just, I'm really that's adamant, awesome. you know. Yeah. Um, here I have in my notes for, for this conversation this quote, and I'd love to kind of hear how you think it applies to the culture we've built at Belay and how this could help our listeners. Yeah. But um, Sir Richard Branson says that we should train people well enough they can leave, but treat them well enough that they don't want to. I'd love to hear like your thoughts on that quote and how Belay has like followed it with the way that we lead our people here. Yeah, I mean, training is so huge. Again, it goes back to those. I think of training as expectations too, right? And so you have to be very deliberate and intentional about creating a training plan and onboarding that feels like you are ready for that person to start and that you thought of them long before they ever got there. Again, I I hate to say it, um, but I I think there's been too many times, a lot of what we do at Belay, now that I'm sitting here thinking about this, a lot of what we do at Belay is based off of poor previous experiences. (laughs) I feel like we're the company that was like, let's not do, let's not suck like some of the other companies have sucked. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, even in, it's more important in a virtual space. I'm going to get there in just a second, but I can remember starting a job and showing up and feeling like nobody even knew that I was supposed to show up that day. Like, oh gosh, yeah, let me uh, what, what office are you in? Hold on. Is IT here? Do you actually have a computer or laptop or any of those kinds of things? So that does not start to build a great culture, does not start to build a great employee experience. And that is something that I would say that we do really good here at Belay is that every touch point for a person, whether it's a contractor, an employee, a, um, a partner of ours, that we have, we think about the experience from start to finish. And so onboarding, um, or actually it starts with the interview process. We review our interview process to make sure that all through that steps, you know what you're, what is going to come next. Nobody wants to sit around for two weeks wondering if they're going to get the rejection letter or not. Like we spell all that out. Hey, these are the steps you're going to go through to interview. Once that happens and you get uh, a job offer, hey, this is what it's going to look like to onboard. And then we complete a two-week training plan. And it is hour by hour. We go ahead and we send you all the calendar invites. All of that is going to be ready for you because you are going to feel like you were thought of long before you ever agreed to take that job. And again, it sets them up for success because nobody wants to be a failure. Nobody's going to show up to their first day of work and say, let me think about how I can do all this wrong. And with that training, it's ongoing. We do a lot of professional development. I want people 
to have increased their skill set, increased their emotional intelligence, became a better person by working at Belay that they could go elsewhere to get a job. Like, gosh, isn't that, I mean, I want to celebrate that. I want to celebrate the fact that we help make you a better person. There's nothing wrong with that. And also accepting the fact that not everybody's going to be with you for the entire time. There, some people are just supposed to be there for a short amount of time to give you something that you needed, but then celebrate when they move on and know that you made a difference in their life. One of my, uh, my mentors who I know was, uh, friend of our founders as well. Um, he said, let people walk away, but like never, you never burn the bridge for them to be able to walk back. And I think like creating yeah. a culture that is just, it's interesting. You've kind of outlined a flow, which is a uh, start with empathy. So it's being others focused. It's over communicate and provide clarity. And then it's like, Hey, create a relationship that allows you to celebrate them no matter what is happening, whether it's, you know, they're yeah. flourishing where they're at now, or they're going somewhere else to, to, to celebrate. I think when you, when you approach people's leadership open-handed, mm-hmm. they're much more likely to stay, you know, they're much more likely um, yeah. to stay or, or and, and be part of, of what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And there's been times when, you know, people have decided that they need to take time away from Belay, what they're doing here. And I'm super proud of the fact that we've had a good number of those folks come back, yeah. you know, whether it could be to care for family members or they just wanted to try their hand at a, at a different career. And then they came back. And then there's other people who have left to do amazing things. And we continue to be, you know, professional acquaintances and friends with them and celebrate them when they're gone. And, and I don't think there's anything better to me than to be a leader and know that you helped somebody go live out their dreams. I mean, shoot, we, we had somebody one time who literally wanted to make an entire career change. And we helped her do that. That feels good. That's amazing. I, you know, there's this famous quote, which is like, people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses. And I think that's true unless you've created a culture where you've developed a relationship of developing people. <laughs> and it's like, yes. I, yeah, I've had people quit uh, that I've led really high capacity people, but I've almost always felt like I've launched them into the next thing, oh, not that yeah. they walked away. And that's kind of like always been a goal for me where it's like, no matter what happens next, I, I want that to feel more like a launch pad than like a, a dock they're walking away from or something like that, you know? Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yes. I want to be a launch pad. I'm going to take that. You know, and I have found that more times than not, it either serves you now or it serves you later. Like it all comes full circle so many times. All right, LZ, let's just get really, really practical now. Um, What role do you feel like one-on-one meetings play in the context of interfacing with your team, especially in a hybrid environment? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, having one-on-ones. Now, I always recommend weekly one-on-ones. However, I do understand that some leaders have teams that prohibit them from doing that. Then I would say at least every other week. If you can't do that, your team is probably too big. (laughs) That's a great point. Um, Because you need to connect with your team at least every other week, right? It's so important in a hybrid virtual environment to, again, have that connection to see each other's face. I'm also going to say it's not just a phone call. It needs to be a video conference. You need to be able to see the emotion that is going on with your team member, whether they're frustrated or excited. Um, so much body language that happens that you can't pick up on in, in a phone call. So definitely those one-on-ones are critical. 
for building that trust, laying the foundation for that trust, but just continuing that connection, you know, it's, it's relevant. And again, it's sort of my background and my experience. My parents are divorced. And so I can remember when they first got divorced, it was, I would talk to my dad every day. And then as I got older, right, we started to connect twice a week. And then I got a little older and then it was once a week, right? And then it just kind of became a little bit haphazardly as, as I got older. What I found is that I could tell the difference in our relationship when it went from every day to twice a week to once a week to haphazardly because the little details that you don't think matter actually matter in order to continue to build the relationship. And I relate that back to the one-on-ones with my team. If I don't stop at least once a week to say, tell me all the little things that happen. By the time we meet every two weeks, the little things are going to forget to share. And the little things all compound into the big thing. So definitely meet one-on-one, use a video tool if you are in a hybrid environment to connect with them. I'm also going to talk too about that. I think it's really important to give feedback during those one-on-ones. It's not just connecting personally. It's not just asking what's on their plate, but give feedback. And then I love it when teams do some sort of performance review. Mm -hmm. Uh, We call them CFPs here, but uh, you know, quarterly performance reviews, but, but taking the time for that employee to share with you where they feel like they're winning what they want to celebrate with you, what they need help with. And you doing that in return is super cool. Um, And we get that feedback all the time that people like, oh, I just had an an annual review. Again, you're missing all the details if you're doing it that far apart. So do it quarterly and offer that feedback. It's going to make all the difference in the world with your team, I promise. You know, we talk about all the time on this podcast that like the secret to, to great organizations is hiring the very best talent you can and keeping them for as long as you can. Yes. And I feel like these types of relationships and this level of intentionality of, of leading your, your team uh, is a secret weapon to retaining and attracting great talent. And I, I think it's one of the secrets to the success of Belay. And I think many of the companies that we respect, uh, it, it, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. One of the really interesting things you said there was talking about feedback. And I, I don't want to just like buzz past that because I think it's a, I think feedback is like such a interesting concept because it's not just a one-way thing. It's a two-way thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it can go both ways. And uh, I'd love you to just talk a little bit about the way that you've led your team over the last 11 years virtually and, and how feedback has been a big part of your leadership, both in how you've developed them, but also as you've grown as a leader. Yeah, totally. It has to be a two-way street. You know, in case, you know, our listeners haven't heard it, uh, you know, I hate to break it to them, but they're not perfect. Um, We are, there's no perfect statement. I know, I know. (laughs) And we're not perfect leaders. And so I think what happens is so often we elevate ourselves as leaders and our team elevates us as leaders And um, we do not come to the table with open hands, willing to hear the areas that we need to improve on. And it could be like, hey, I know you guys talk about your mission and your values a lot, but I don't feel that. I don't feel like I'm important. Or I know that you talk about that the client that always comes first, customers number one. Well, I just heard, you know, one of my team members not offering 
the best service or not offering to help solve a, a problem um, on one of our team members or team meetings, we were talking about it. And uh, she didn't seem very empathetic and she didn't seem like she was going out of her way to, to help solve that client's problem. Um, so having the feedback both ways helps our team members see that we are human um, and that we know we're not perfect and we are trying to learn right along with them. And so I think it's critical. Um, we do a pulse surveys here as an organization. We do those you know, quite often. It could be just about an event. It could be about training. It could be about just where are you in the company right now? It's a great way. It's anonymous for us to know where we stand on the things that we find important. Again, we do performance reviews. Every person in the organization has a performance review, even me. So, you know, my leader is giving me a performance review. We also do 360 evaluations. So it's something that we just believe is super important is feedback. Uh, I like to say it's telling the kind truth. So I I do want to hit on that. Feedback is not meant to be malicious. It's not meant to be hurtful. It's meant to be helpful. Um, and so I think that's a key too to remember to feedback is it's that constant, it's a two-way street of, am I meeting your expectations? If not, how can I improve? And you coming to that conversation with open hands and really listening and going from there. So I think what I've seen at Belay, I've seen you do this well. And, and I think it's part of our culture is because we have such regular face-to-face, you know, on video touch points and quarterly yeah. performance reviews and, you know, pulse surveys throughout that. The feedback is much smaller and much more often than mm-hmm. um, instead of one big thing at the end of the year. And I have found yeah. in my leadership over the years that like quicker, more regular feedback, like small course corrections avoid you really from almost ever having to have really hard, big conversations. There are obviously exceptions. You know, my executive coach always said that even with the best testing, hiring is a 50-50 proposition. You know, like you just never know (laughs) what's going to happen. But I I, I have found that that the smaller, quicker conversations and feedback really do set us up to have much more trust-based relationships. Mm -hmm. The, you know, that, that feedback has an appropriate you know, weight and is right sized in our, in our, you know, psyche and the way that we're leading. Um, but it also is just like a regular part of the conversation. It's not something that's like, right. Oh, I've got bad news today. It's like, Hey, this thing happened. I just want to have a conversation about it. And Hey, obviously, you know, we're just like approaching it with trust. And I feel like the more often you do that, and I think especially in a virtual environment, because you're not necessarily picking up on emotional cues or like, you know, the vibe yeah. as much, um, being more proactive and clear with that on a more regular basis is really important. Yeah, well, I think that it also limits anxiety for some team members. You know, the oh my gosh, it's my annual review. I don't know what to expect. Um, yeah. And so they dread the annual review because they don't know what's coming their way. I also think it um, helps prevent a lot of animosity that happens too. Like, oh, so it's November and you're going to tell me something I did wrong in February? Yeah. Like, come on. Whereas if I would have just heard it in February, and then all of a sudden that becomes like a mountain instead of yeah. the molehill that it was, right? Like, oh, I just want to let you know, back in February, you missed that deadline. Uh, okay, well, maybe they kept missing deadlines. And maybe it finally got to a point where you had to talk about a performance improvement plan. Well, if you would have tackled that in February and didn't wait until November, it would have, you would have been much happier as a leader too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, it's so. interesting. I've got a new team member that's going through his first quarterly review right now, and he kind of was asking me questions about what to expect. And I was like, hey, there should be nothing in this that is a surprise. Like there, so you don't need to worry. I don't save feedback for this moment and that's really unfair to them. Like, and I kind of have an agreement with all of my team and I have for years where I'm like, Hey, if I've got feedback, I'm going to give it to you. Cause I don't think it's fair for me to think something until like you, there'd be like a relational withdrawal and you not know that. Right. Like that's a totally unfair relationship. So that's kind of like a, just an agreement I have with my team emotionally. And I kind of ask for the same thing. Right. And, um, I love that. I think as you navigate those conversations, that's important. So. Yeah, no, I love that. That's, that's really good is yeah, I don't want to withdraw. Because I'm thinking that you're doing something intentionally. Um, and that's a great opportunity too to find out that maybe there is a training gap. Yeah. Or a communication gap too. you know, by, by offering feedback, just creates conversation. As you said earlier, if you hire well, more times than not, no, the, your staff members are not doing whatever is underperforming on purpose. Or it's like not malicious. It is just right. a gap. It's a gap in expectations or communication or clarity or skill mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. Doesn't mean there aren't exceptions to that. Doesn't mean it doesn't always right. end, you know, in a hard way. But more times than not, if you've done your due diligence on the front end, your poor fits in the long run have more to do with much more complex issues than they do with just like unmet expectations. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm going to go back to the beginning of our conversation, but even talking about hiring, you just mentioned that sort of 50-50 proposition, right? I always take notes on the, the individuals that I interview and especially those when you're getting down to the end. And it's sort of like that, hey, these are the areas I think that they knock it out of the park when I compare it to the job description. This is sort of that area that I'm a little concerned about. And I go back to that um, as we are training and as we were talking, especially that that first six months in a virtual environment, it can be a little bit longer. But I found that six months is really good because if I am noticing that maybe there's a gap in their skill set or what I was expecting, how I was expecting them to perform, I can go back and check myself. Like, uh, oh, yeah. you know what? Hmm. I said during the interview that I thought that they might miss the mark a little bit here. And then all of a sudden, it brings up that empathy that, oh, did, did I really train them well enough in that area? Or did I coach them? Did I, did I set the right expectations? Do I need to match them with somebody else in our department who excels in that area? Again, it's knowing what you are getting into and not expecting something out of someone that they didn't even have in the beginning. More times than not, I have found <laughs> that it's like, oh, wait, this is a me problem, not a them problem. Because I, yes. I changed, I knew this was going to be a problem. And then all of a sudden it was, and now I'm mad. No, that's on us. Right. And I, I think the virtual environment uh, is one of the things I've loved so much is it's challenged so many aspects of my leadership, because it requires you uh, to be the best version of yourself to be a great leader. It is challenging, but it really mm-hmm. pulls out the, the best leadership skills out of out of a leader. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, LZ, thank you so much. This conversation was unbelievable. I'm walking away uh, challenged as a leader, and I feel like I've got some new skills to take to managing my team. To our listeners, LZ is gonna actually going to hang around just a little bit longer after this interview, and she's going to answer one more question. And we're going to talk about vulnerability and transparency as a tool for leaders. So you're not going to want to miss that. And the way that you hear that is you subscribe to our email list, and we will send you a link to our bonus content. Or you can visit onenextsteppodcast.com, where you can find a link in our show notes. LZ, thank you so much for this. This was so helpful. Thank you, Ryan, for having me. 
that was a blast. A big thank you to LZ for continuing to share her leadership expertise with us on the podcast. Now, every week we offer one next step for our listeners. And today we have a free download of our brand new ebook, Lead Anyone from Anywhere, which is packed with leadership lessons for the modern hybrid team. And thank you so much for tuning in to this week's One Next Step. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. And while you're there, leave us a review. And if you're ready to start accomplishing more and juggling less, go to belaysolutions.com. Join us next time for more practical business tips and tools to help you advance your business one step at a time. For more episodes, show notes, and helpful resources, visit onenextsteppodcast.com. Next week, we'll be joined by not one, but two amazing team members for Belay, Chief People Officer Krisha Bueller and HR Manager Lori Friedman, who will share the framework they use for having courageous conversations, including practical examples of the way they approach some common workplace situations. Now, here's a quick preview. You set the tone as a leader. So if you walk in charged and ready to go, that's what you're going to get coming right back at you. Somebody's gonna be on the defense immediately and that will not be a productive conversation. And I think it circles back again to relationship capital. If you have a strong relationship with that individual, they know you genuinely care about their success. And so you can have those feedback conversations and they're much less awkward and much more comfortable.